So for this month, for the interim series, the three-week series, we are doing New Year's resolutions with Jesus. So I'm guessing that if any of you made New Year's resolutions or if they're neither resolution type of person, you may have made one that has to do something with your spiritual life, like I'm going to pray more, I'm going to memorize scripture, um, this is going to be the year I finally get up early and do my devotions, this is it. And you're like, okay, it's January 7, I haven't done that very well yet. Right? So we, we, we want this fresh start. And I think it's important for us to remember that these aren't the things that we just come up with. That these are actually things that Jesus practiced in his life. And so we're going to look at stories from Jesus' life and see how he practiced these disciplines and what he invites us to do as well. And so today we're looking at the spiritual discipline of solitude, of solitude, of being alone. So, open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. This is page 813 in the black Bibles that you have in the pew. And if you are new to our community and you do not have a Bible of your own, please feel free to take one with you. That is not a problem. Page 813, Mark is a gospel, one of the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tell the stories of Jesus. We're going to be beginning to read at verse uh, 29, but I just want you to glance up to verse 28 where it says, Jesus' fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. That's what's going on. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. Jesus came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening, at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone's searching for you. He answered, let us go on to the neighboring town so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the messages in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. You may find it helpful to leave that open. So I have a dog named Zoe who's, yeah, okay. She's, she's nine, but she's still very bouncy. In fact, she's been bouncy since she, like, came out of the womb. She's just a very lively dog. The Greek word for life is Zoe, and I named her appropriately. And sometimes see Zoe played Roma, which is abundant life. So here's an, here's an image of Zoe. This is Zoe right? That's like her exuberance. Like, that's her all the time. She's like, what are we doing now? Where are we going? What are you doing? Are you going? We're going to that room? Are we going into this room now? Oh, this is great. I love going into rooms with you. This is so wonderful. And so because this is how Zoe is, I've had to teach her a command, settle. And settle means I'm not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. Lie down and relax. 
Sometimes she listens better than other times. But here's an example of settle. This is Zoe. I know. That's us. We're both settle at that moment. Settle. Settle. When we think about the spiritual discipline of solitude, think about it as our loving God saying to us, hey, settle. Just, just, just settle. Settle. Because God knows us. And he knows that we are bouncy like Zoe. And we zoom around from thing to thing, and we have all these demands coming at us all the time. And what we do when those demands come is we're like, we try to meet them back, and we try to try harder, and we meet the crazy with more crazy. And things get fired up, and we get stressed and crabby. Some of you, just a month ago, were right in the crosshairs of this experience. You were finishing... Uh, projects and papers, you were getting ready for exams, and you all had this look of like, I've got this much to do, and this is the time I have to do it in. Like, all of you, you're all like over-caffeinated and under-rested, right? And you wanted to please your professors, and you wanted to please your parents, you wanted to please yourself. Oh! And then maybe you went home for break, and you thought, oh, good, finally I get to go home for break. And then... Your parents wanted to spend time with you, and your friends wanted to spend time with you, and then you had to go over here to this family thing and over there to that family thing. And every time you were at a thing, people were like, what are you majoring in? Oh, really? What are you going to do with that? (laughs) And if you didn't have a great answer to both of those questions, they were happy to give you one. Let me just tell you what you should be doing with your life. Let me just give you a little advice. You know what I did? You know how this worked out for me? And you actually were glad for break to be done so you could come back and chill out at college. (laughs) And now it's interim, and some of you are, like, taking chill classes, and some of you are taking that language-intensive class thing. Some of you are taking calculus for interim. Some of you are doing that speech path intensive. Some of you are just like, if one more person says how chill interim is, I'm just going to blow my mind, right? (laughs) And you see everything you have to do between now and the end of interim, and you're like, ah. And not only that, but we're all supposed to be like super recycly and power saving (laughs) this month, right? Creation care, sustainability. Like, well, how many points am I getting for the thing? I don't know. My points are my points. Is our dorm winning the points? Did I touch a nerve? Is that a little little thing? (laughs) And it just swirls. And not only that, but, you know, we have to, like, respond to people's texts and like the right things and favorite the right things. And then we got to, like, respond to the text and all the things. And we feel like, oh, are we going in this room now? Or are we going over here now? We're doing the thing. I'm ready for the thing. I'm ready for the thing. That sense that sense of running around, that sense of everybody wants something from you, that's that's what Jesus has walked into here in Mark 1. This is early in his ministry, very, very early in his ministry. He goes to the synagogue for the first time, and there's a demon that pops out in the synagogue. Awkward, right? (laughs) I thought we took care of those. No, there's one right there. 
So he takes care of the, the demon, and then it says his fame spreads, right? Verse 28, his fame spreads throughout the countryside. And what happens is at sunset, everybody starts coming his way because Sabbath ended at sundown. When there were three stars in the sky, you could travel again, and you could carry things again. So you could carry your disabled friend from wherever they were to Jesus. So you can imagine the people, they're like waiting, like watching the sky. One star, two stars, three stars, let's go, let's go, let's go, move it, move it, move it, move it. And the whole city of Capernaum comes to Jesus and he's healing people and he's casting out demons and everybody wants something from him. Everybody's like, oh, you've got to fix my dad's hand so he can work again. Would you cure my sister's blindness? My aunt has leprosy. Would you please help us? Would you please make our lives better? We have a great idea for you, Jesus. Help us all, all the time. And because they started when it was dark, Jesus may have been doing this for hours. And then finally, the last person is tended to and sent on her way. And that would be the time that we'd be like, okay, sweatpants, Ben and Jerry's, Netflix. Like, it's time to chill out. It is time to, like, rest and, like, sleep a long time. Jesus doesn't do that. And the other uh, thing that we might do in that situation is to be like, I need a better time management system. I need to have some of these people sign up. We need to have office hours. We need to have lines. We need to organize this, people. We can, or we can do better tomorrow. We can all do better tomorrow, right? These are the responses that we would have. Jesus doesn't have any of those responses. Jesus gets up in the middle of the night, and he leaves. He takes off. He goes out when it's still very dark, Mark says, and he goes to a deserted place, and he prays. Now, it's tempting for us to imagine the deserted place like, like the Sunday school pictures of, you know, Jesus, and it's like, uh, he's by the Sea of Galilee, and he's in a white toga, and he's praying earnestly, <laughs> and slowly the sun is rising, and it's like, no, it wasn't like that. So scholars tell us that Capernaum was actually a town that was really tightly packed together. Everybody lived really close to each other. Everybody's kind of in everybody's business. So for Jesus to find a deserted place meant he had to get up and go quite a bit. He had to get out of town. He had to go a ways away. And the thing about a deserted place is it's deserted because no one wants to be there. So we imagine, like, Jesus walking through a national park. But it really... You need to imagine like a scraggy hill with goat droppings all over. And he's leaning, he's sitting and leaning against a rock. And it's cold. And it's dark. And he may have thought, I'd really like to go to bed. 
But he's there in the middle of the night, on the scraggly place, the deserted place, all by himself. Why? Why? And this isn't the only time he does it. This is actually a rhythm in Jesus' life. This is actually something he does regularly. He pulls aside from everybody else and goes off alone to pray, to think, to prepare, to respond. And he teaches his disciples to do it too. There are times he says, come away, come apart, and rest a while. Why does Jesus regularly return to silence and solitude? So that he can hear the voice of his father and remember the mission. So he can hear the voice of his father and remember the mission. Look what happens. They, they, they hunt for him, right? He's in the scraggly place. Why is he there? When they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, God, oh, man, I'm, I'm sorry, totally should have left a note. Sorry about that. Uh, did you need something? Did I disappoint anybody by not being present? Nope. Doesn't engage it. This is what he says. Let's go to the neighboring town so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. You see, it would have been very easy for Jesus to shape his days being reactive to the demands that were coming in. And when he went by himself and listened to the voice of his father who reminded him of his love, reminded him that he was cherished, and reminded him that his mission was bigger, that he had to proclaim the gospel, the good news, he had to say to people that sin does not have the final say, and death does not have the final say, and hell does not have the final say. And so even though he hasn't gotten a lot of sleep, he sounds very focused and energized and ready. His, his companions come, and he's like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go to the other towns. We're ready. Let's go. And that's actually one of the fruit of solitude, by spending time with God and remembering who we are, we actually have more energy to give to other people. And so this is why Jesus also invites us into solitude. And if we think about the image of Zoe on the couch, like, just settle. We think, oh, man, that sounds great. And then you think, um, um, Pastor Mary, I live with a person and then two other people and then 40 people and 300 people. I'm always with people. How am I supposed to do solitude? Or I live in an apartment with people and they're coming and going and somebody's always got the music on and our upstairs neighbor is really loud. How am I going to do solitude? Well, I want to remind you that it's not easy. Jesus had, to, Jesus had to get up in the middle of the night and go to a deserted place and stay there in the dark. You see, solitude, because it's the place where God meets us and speaks to us and reminds us of his love and encourages us, and equips us and calls us back to our mission because solitude is the place where we and God get together, the enemy has no interest in us doing that. The enemy would prefer that we did not. 
So finding time and place and a rhythm of solitude is not going to be easy. But that doesn't mean we don't do it. There are places for solitude around. Every dorm has a prayer room in the basement. Some of them have sign-up sheets, sign up for a slot. We have prayer rooms in the basement of this chapel. Just come, hunker down. If you want a warm place, the bleachers in the swimming pool place. Very rarely occupied. And even then, you can find like a little corner. Like, there are places. You could take a long drive. You could take a long walk. But solitude isn't about place as much as it is about the purpose of the heart. Solitude is about saying, in this time, right now, God, I am attentive to you. I am attentive to you. You can be in the middle of a coffee shop, people coming and going, and you can practice solitude. Because solitude is about putting away the distractions of the world. And this may seem obvious, but I'm just going to say it. You cannot do solitude with your phone. And you're like, oh, no, no, no. No, really, you can't. You see, your phone is a little box that contains all of the demands of the world. Every email you have to respond to, every text that needs an answer, every assignment you have from school, every social media platform that says that you are not enough, that you need to be taller or thinner or better or more crafty. That's a Pinterest shout-out for those of you who didn't know. Every social media platform that says you are not enough, you need to do more. All the demands of the world, the news is on there saying you need to save the world. Is that just me when I read the news? It's all right there in that little box. And so when we go into solitude, we say I'm going to stop being reactive to the demands of the world and I'm going to turn my heart so that I can be proactive to the invitations of the kingdom. Solitude is about saying the demands of the world can take a time out because my God has invited me to come in and settle. Now, it's really tempting to, to go into solitude with like a, a pen and a paper and like, okay, we're going to form some goals we're going to make a list. I want to achieve something with my solitude time. Well, that's, that's a little like if I, you know, went to my conversation with a, one of my best friends and sat down with like a pad of paper and a pen. It was like, we are going to accomplish something in this conversation right now. She'd be like, what are you doing? Why are you doing What are you doing? Like sometimes the conversations are rich and meaningful and meaty and shape my life. And sometimes it's just like, hey, you know, what's going on? Chatter, chatter, chatter. It's being with the person. Solitude is time in which God invites us to just come in and rest, and we don't have to impress him, and we don't have to have some take-home results. We just get to be. So Jesus spends time in solitude, and he comes back, and he's clear about his mission 
And aren't we glad he did that? Aren't we glad that Jesus took time out? The answer is yes. Because this allowed him to say, what am I really here for? What is, what is my purpose? What is my mission? It kept the cross before him. It kept the resurrection ahead of him the whole time. He was focused on his mission because he spent time with his father. And we needed that from him. And we need that from each other. The church of Jesus Christ is better when you take time to rest in the presence of God. The church of Jesus Christ is better when you take time to listen to how much God loves you, to rest into his presence, and maybe hear an invitation to kingdom work, which could be as simple as, here's a name I want you to pray about. Or here's something I want you to be thinking about. This is an invitation for you. This is an opportunity that's come your way, and I want you to say no to it, actually. I want you to think about that. Solitude isn't about achievement. It's about being present and letting God speak to us. In our times of solitude, we listen to the voice of our Father and Jesus Christ, our brother, and the Holy Spirit, our comforter, who reminds us of how much we are loved and that every one of us has kingdom work to do. We get to settle in the presence of God. We get to settle. So we're going to practice tonight. And you can move if you want to move. It won't be long. Do not freak out. But get into a position where you're comfortable. Try not to distract anybody or be touching anyone. You can put your hands open. You can have your hands closed. You can have your eyes open. You can put your eyes closed. You can move down a seat. You can kneel if you want to. You can spread out. You can sit on the floor. So, practicing solitude with 300 of our dearest friends. Think about some of the lyrics that we sang. Maybe there's a phrase that you want to choose as the centering word. Open the eyes of my heart. Thank you, Emela. It is well with my soul. Take deep breaths. Know that you are loved. I'm going to set a timer. When the timer goes off, I'll pray, and then we'll sing. Let us attend to God.